Welcome to the Grace City Eugene podcast. We exist to help every person in our sphere of influence encounter Christ, experience biblical community, and extend God's kingdom. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to hello at gracecityeugene.com. Here's the podcast. We are working our way through a series titled In This House. In This House. So this is just kind of a, a typical, if you will, like, this is what Grace City stands for. We're kind of going over our refreshed mission statement. Like, this is what we are going to, to stand on as what shapes how we do ministry and why we do ministry and what we believe God has breathed into the heart and DNA of this church in this county. Um, we're talking about that, the nuance of that, why and how that looks in our relationships and our families and in this city. And so that's what this, this series has, has looked like. Um, that, that actual statement is this, is that we exist to help every person in our sphere of influence encounter Christ, experience biblical community, and extend God's kingdom. So we have covered why we believe that an encounter with Christ is important and why we want to help people with that. We have also covered why we believe it's important to experience biblical community. So we, we got that one. And then last week, we talked about, like, why do we want to extend God's kingdom? And what is God's kingdom? So we all know what we are partaking in extending, amen? Because there's a lot of different views, visions, ideologies of what that means. So we kind of narrowed that down to what we believe that looks like and why that's important and why that's good news to those of, in our sphere of influence. And this week, now that we know what we're helping people do, we're going to go back to that, well, why every person? What does every person mean? And especially... What does every person in our, in our sphere of influence mean? Because I know this one person, and you know, I'd, I'd rather just not deal with that person. Right? We, we all have those thoughts that go, well, maybe I have those thoughts that go through my head, okay? Um, and so these are things that we need to, we need to encounter, we need to, to deal with, we need to reconcile internally. And before we jump in, I just want to pray real quick, and we'll get going on what God wants to say about this. So God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this family, for this church, for your word. God, would you speak through me this morning? Would your Holy Spirit um, soften hearts to receive what you want to speak? And would we walk out of here today knowing what our next step in following you is? Amen. All right. All good sermons start with a story, right? So I, I was, as I was reflecting, asking God, like, ah, what, what have you taught me about this that can compel what I want to share with my family about this this morning? And it was, he brought up this memory from when we first moved down here that sometimes it kind of plagues me, this memory, because, and you'll hear why, um, but it was just vivid. It was like, this, this is it, Chris, this is it. And so when we were first moving down here, um, Eugene is kind of a, a different place, right? Shocker. It's a little bit of a different place, and especially if you come from like Corvallis, and that was like the biggest place you'd lived before because I come from a really small like logging town, 1,500 people, right? Like I had 38 people walk at my graduation. Eugene's a little different than that. Um, and I moved here and we, we tried to go to different parts of town to like check out like restaurants or like, oh, we want to take the kids out for ice cream. Instead of going to like somewhere in our part of town, let's go, oh, there's a TCBY out on West 11th. Sure, let's drive over there. I don't care that it's almost dark and we're going through the Whitaker. Let's just check it out, right? And... Uh, you run into some really interesting things when you explore this city. And I love this city. Please don't hear anything different. But you run into some really interesting things around here. 
And I remember driving through downtown, and I got, I think we only had two kids at that point in time, um, and, and, but they were noisy, and they were like, where are we going? And we were trying to surprise them. Have you ever done that as parents? You're like, we're not going to tell them, we're just going to surprise them, but then they're nagging you the whole way. And so just, just deal with it, it'll be okay, trust us. And we're driving along, and I see this woman standing on the corner holding a sign that said, anything helps. She looked like she's about 16. She was clearly like third term pregnant. And she's just sitting there. Anything helps. And I'm stopped at the light and I see she's about 20 yards up. And God just like, it was like a spotlight was shining on her. It just, I couldn't miss it. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, I, I don't know what's going on in her life or what's happening, but I feel like I need to like stop and ask her. And then you hear the other voice. It's like, that would be weird, dude. You're married. Why are you going to go talk, talk to some young, like, pregnant lady standing on, on the corner. Granted, my family is with me, but it just, I was wrestling with all these things internally. And so we keep going. It's like, no, we're on a mission, TCBY, and I keep driving. And I was like, Bree, did you see that lady back there? She's like, yeah. And I was like, I feel like I need to go back and make sure she's okay. Like, something's just not sitting with me. And she's like, okay. And so we whip around and go back, and I'm like, that's where she was right there. She was gone. Like, she wasn't just some, like, angel that disappeared. Like she was gone. She had left. And I'm driving around the blocks. It's like, look for her. She's wearing this and this. Like, do you see her anywhere? She's pregnant. Like, probably not too hard to spot. And I never saw her again. And even though I never saw her again that day, like, I, I see her so often because there was something that God was just trying to show me about what she was dealing with, what was going on with her or what might be happening to her that I felt compelled in that moment to enter into her life and see what might be going on, to ask a question, to actually care about somebody in a much different walk than me. And I hit the accelerator instead of the brake. I just went by. I had my life, my mission that I was doing. Now, you know, I, I changed that and I tried to go back. But that moment, I won't say haunts me, but that moment has educated me. It has informed like how I move going forward. And my mind was just racing with all the bad possible things that she could have been. Maybe it was this, maybe it was this. Maybe, and I, it, was, it plagued me for like a week. And I, I gave it to God. Um, but this was one of those all too real moments where I had to wrestle with the reality of two things. One, I did not respond when God was asking me to enter into somebody's life. I had to deal with that. Like, I'd call it disobedience, right? Like, Okay, you clearly like wanted some sort of interaction, and I in my car with my family, and we just drove on by. I didn't respond when God was clearly trying to lead me. And the second thing is, I was confronted with the reality of the depravity of the world all around me. Like just that I can't even drive to a yogurt, frozen yogurt store without just seeing like, oh my goodness, this is... This world needs some hope. It needs something. It was a reinforcement of the fact that there is a desperate need for Jesus to come to this place and set the captives free. It's not just some ethereal, like, you read the books about church planting or about church or about following Jesus or about evangelism, and the goal is like, yeah, people need Jesus. Like, cool, I read it in a book. Let's go do it. Like, it left that, and it became tangible, but unfortunately, I didn't respond quick enough. And so this moment really informed my heart 
for this city. Because up until that point, I live on the north side of Eugene. You can kind of avoid some of the things that used to make me comfortable about Eugene, right? Like you have a few roads that you can get to pretty much anything on, and it's, it's not the full Eugene experience where I live. But going down into this area, it highlighted God's heart for these people, for this city. And it's not allocated to just Eugene. This can happen anywhere you go. Beaverton, Hillsboro, Portland, Corvallis, right? Like wherever you go, this is the case. But so many times we try to comprehend God's heart for his people in our head instead of going and being around the people and connecting it like the heart tangible, like flesh level of what people's life and like state of their life actually is. And in this moment, I realized that God... His heart is for every person in this city, not just my neighbors, not just those that I can have a comfortable friendship with, not just those that are easy to talk with, but he had a heart for that girl. That's why it stuck out to me. That's why when I drive downtown and I see people holding up signs or passed out on the side of the road or other things, like God says, that's my child. I care about them. He cares about every person. And that's why when we say, like, this is about every person having every person having access to the good news of Jesus and that he's called us to be a part of that, that means every person. Everybody. God loves his creation. He loves his kids. And he's commissioned us to be a part of bringing them back to him. And if we don't get that at a heart level, if it's just something that like, oh yeah, I see that on signs, I saw that on one of those TV shows, or I hear it on my radio station in the morning when I'm driving to work, if it doesn't go beyond the head and get us in the heart, we'll never do anything about it. It'll just be something that we know we should do, like, right, you shouldn't, kind of like, oh, I shouldn't use credit cards, but I wanted this, right? I shouldn't do this, but, like, it'll just be something that's in our head, but if it doesn't get our hearts, then what will we actually do about it. And so this led me to really try to reconcile, like, okay, God, what do you say about your heart, your caring for people, A, that are different from me, and why and how do I go beyond just what's comfortable for me, the easy relationships, and be a part of expanding my sphere of influence and seeing how you can reach everybody in this city? Not through me. I'm not Superman. But how can we start a movement as a church that has the opportunity to reach more and more people every week as your number grows here in this community? And over and over again, he led me to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. Now, if you remember earlier in this series, we looked really in depth at Acts chapter 9 because that's when Paul, Saul, has an encounter with Jesus and he has this this, this radical encounter. And then right after that, in Acts chapter 10, which is going to be our text for the day, we see some more interesting things happening. So at the beginning of Acts chapter 10, there's this man named Cornelius, who's a Roman centurion who was in Caesarea. This is a coastal town. And the Bible tells us that he was generous and he gave to those in need and prayed regularly, like he had favor with God. And one day Cornelius had a vision. An angel of God came to him and told him to send men to Joppa, to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. To bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. So Cornelius sends two servants and a devout soldier, the word tells us, to go get this Peter guy from Joppa. And we're going to pick up in verse 9 here and read through. It says, About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. 
that's interesting. Maybe I should pay attention to what comes after this. Like, he's hungry and he fell into a trance. Um, he saw heaven opened when he's in this trance, had this vision. And something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. <clears throat> Peter's response was, surely not, Lord. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the man to the house to be his guest. So, so here we see that God's coordinating something, right? Sometimes we just read through this, these stories and we get to the end point to see what the lesson is and we forget to identify what some of the methods and how God's actually working, like how that plays out. And I find it's important to look at the methods and how the story plays out for us because we don't want to go through life and just get to the end and be like, okay, that's what I was supposed to learn. We want to be able to identify and see the hand of God working along the way. Amen. We don't want to miss what he's doing and be able to see his heart and how he works and how he might be calling us in to his purposes and his plans along the way. So we stop right here and we see, okay, simultaneously, God is working in these two people's lives that don't really have anything to do with each other, but he's working. He's doing something to bring them together for a purpose, to teach them each something, to move supernaturally in their lives. And we can't miss the point that God is coordinating something here just because we know how the story ends and what the main point is. Be looking for this as you read through these scriptures. So then we see... At the second half of verse 23, it says, The next day Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, and he had called together his relatives and close friends. So God tells him, like, go send for this guy, right? And he's got something to, to share with you, or there's something that God wants to do in this, is what he knows. And his response before, like, Peter even gets there, is, I got to get more people. I got, they got to hear. God's working. God's doing something. Everybody that I can bring in, my sphere of influence needs to hear whatever this is. Whatever this good news is, whatever God's doing in this moment, because he's coordinating something, he's working on something, everybody I know needs to receive this with me. This isn't just for me. This is going to be good news for everybody. He believed that, and he called his relatives and close friends all in, because he was expecting what God was doing for this man. He was expecting God to show up and speak in this moment. And as Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter's like, get up. I'm only a man. I'm only a man myself, he said. And while talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. 
He said to them, you are well aware that it's against our law for Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. He's got Peter, a Jew, and you got this whole group of Gentiles, non-believers, right? But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. Now may I ask why you sent for me, is what his, he says in this moment. And Cornelius tells him about the vision he had from an angel and what he was told to do. So now they're kind of getting privy to the other side of what God's doing, of this coordination moment. They're like, oh, that's what's happening. While this was happening, here's what's like. They're, they're connecting all the dots, right? And Cornelius says, so I sent for you immediately. And it was good for you, of you to come, like, Thank you. I appreciate your obedience. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. This isn't just some like recreational gathering. He's like, if God's going to do this, he must have something that we need to receive. There must be something. So here we are. Everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Come on, give it to us. We're ready for it. We're ready for it. We're thirsty for it. There's intentionality in this moment. And then Peter began to speak. He said, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the providence of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by the witnesses who God had already chosen. By us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead, he commanded us, not asked, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and all the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of the sins through his name. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter, meaning the Jewish believers who had come with Peter, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on Gentiles. Because you got to remember, up to this point, this Jesus thing was for the Jews. This was a fulfillment of the Messiah coming, like what was prophesied in Isaiah and all these places. Like This was a Jewish thing. And this is a moment in time where God is entering the story and saying, no, this is not a Jewish thing. This is a people thing. This is a human thing. This is an every person thing. And they were astonished. Like, oh my gosh, Look at this, the Holy Spirit is falling upon these Gentiles. Who are we to put man-made blockades between God and these people when his spirit is falling upon them? And it rocked their paradigm of who and why they were doing ministry. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Now, there's a few places in the scripture that you read through it, 
And you don't need a sermon to accompany it. Amen. You're like, yeah, so thank you, pastor. Let's go. This is one of those chapters. Like it covers it all. We have this bias, this racism happening between Peter and how he views the Gentiles, the other people. And God encounters him, rocks him and says, no, not okay. Like get your act straight. How dare you call anyone or anything unclean that God has made clean, has made pure. Then he responds in obedience. He goes there and they're like, give it to us. Whatever the Lord's telling you, we want to receive it. And he just lays out the gospel. Like you can read Acts 10 and you don't have to come up with, well, what's my understanding of the gospel so I can communicate it effectively to see people come to Jesus. Like, no, read Acts 10. Just read the word. You don't need anything else. I could have come up here, read this to you, and said, okay, now let's read it one more time and then go be on your way. This tells you everything you need to know. But we have these moments so that God can take what he says in his word and contextualize it to our community. Because I believe as much as this can stand alone, there's a few things that God really has a heart for in this community and this city that we need to drill down into. But Peter realizes what God's doing here that God's changing his paradigm from just reaching the Jews with the good news to reaching every person. And we see with Cornelius, it's every person in his sphere of influence. And we see with Peter that his sphere of influence is growing as he responds in obedience. Like, what a beautiful picture. I don't have much of a sphere of influence. Okay, obey and see how God might grow that, right? What does every person in our sphere of influence mean? It can mean literally just everybody you know, And it can mean obey what God's doing in your life so that that sphere of influence may expand. And when it registers with him, he immediately lays out the gospel. And Cornelius and those he had gathered to hear what the Lord commanded Peter to tell them were all filled with the Holy Spirit and baptized. They were all filled with the Spirit and baptized. We see out of both Peter and Cornelius a faith and a boldness to obey what the Lord had commanded of them. And that is followed by a proclamation of the gospel and people receiving truth, receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit and being water baptized. We see a pattern forming here that when God shows up, asks us to do something, we obey, we proclaim, and both we and others then out of that receive And then baptism and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit happens. Like this is a pattern for people being brought into the family of God. And it starts with obedience. It starts with obedience. We see it all played out right here in Acts chapter 10 as the early church is being established. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean for us? When we meet someone, when we interact with someone, when we develop a new relationship, we are responsible for a few things when it comes to partnering with the Lord. We are responsible to obey his leading in any given moment and to proclaim truth, hope, purpose, whatever words you want to put to it, over people's lives. We're responsible for obedience and truth. Truth the best we know it. Like, I've been in the place where like, oh, I don't know what to say. I don't have the Bible memorized yet. And like, cool, I maybe know one or two people that do. I know some really smart people. Like, it's, don't, that, that's not like the point. It's not about knowing it all so that you can answer every question. It's about knowing the truth that the Lord has spoken to you and that has transformed your life and being able to share that. Obey, speak truth. We are not responsible for people's conversion, we are respons- and we're not responsible for their response to what we share. 
we're responsible to obey what God tells us to do. We're responsible for how we follow our Lord and Savior, the one who transformed our lives and that we have encountered in a meaningful way. Now, there's one more thing that seems to always be a challenge when we, when we talk about this. And that's not just the fact that every person matters to God and therefore should matter to his people, but it's, it's the sphere, our sphere of influence part. And I find in conversations with people and hearing people's challenges with it, like engaging in others' lives that there's kind of three camps or places that people fall in different seasons of their lives. And I believe God just wants to speak a little truth and perspective into that this morning as we close. When we talk about our sphere of influence, there are in, inherent challenges um, in helping folks and sharing the good news of, of Jesus. There's just some things that, that, are, that are challenging in this. Um, and one of them, the first one is that sometimes we just see that in our sphere of influence, like everyone in my sphere of influence lives under my roof, right? Like I don't have any sphere of influence, any relationships outside of like home right now. And I know that like I've walked with my wife as she's went through this. She's like, I got four kids, I'm homeschooling, I'm trying to clean up after you and love the church and lead a small group. Like my sphere of influence is all under the same roof. How do I respond to this every person mandate? How do I respond to this like reach out, develop new relationships? Like it's burning inside of me, but in this season, I don't see how on earth that can happen. And I believe that especially like, we're a church of a lot of young families as represented today, right? Like this can be a place we can find ourselves like, I can't even handle my house right now. How am I supposed to like engage in that? And you feel overwhelmed. I'd encourage you. Like there are still places you go and things you do, even if it is just caring for those under your roof, that a simple hello, a simple play date, a simple, ah, how's your day going? can enlarge your sphere of influence. It doesn't have to be some mon monumental like moment where you build up all this courage and like, okay, I got this sermonette ready and I'm gonna go deliver it, ready, right? Like, no, it can just be like, you probably are grocery shopping or getting gas or something at some point in time, like, hi, how, how are you today? How are you today? Or you see someone that's down and, or you see another mom at the park or something like that, like, hey, how's it going? You hanging in there? This can be tough sometimes, can't it? And just have some compassion and care about the person. It's not going to probably blow up like and expand your sphere of influence all at once. But have some perspective that the little things matter. And when you feel like you're almost a hostage in your own home, and this whole thing of meeting and reaching other people is just overwhelming, just one little step at a time. A hello, a smile, a conversation. One person that maybe you try to talk to at the school or wherever it is. Just don't believe the lie that because this season has you focused in one place doesn't mean that God wants to gift you with a conversation or a relationship in another one. Be open to it. Be open to it. <clears throat> All right. And I think this is important because it helps our perspective. It helps us zoom out and see the bigger picture. And it connects us to God's heart at a deeper level when we care about others and enter into their lives and circumstances. It's like a, a bonding mechanism with the Lord. It's like just a sharing in his heart as we step out of what is comfortable and just try to be intentional with others. The other one is for some people, 
every person in their sphere of influence seems like they're already a believer. Like, you know what? I grew up in the church, haven't done much outside of the church. Like, how am I supposed to, like, help them encounter Christ and experience people communicate? They're, they're all already Christians. Like, I, I know people who, who run into that. Now, <laughs> this isn't something to be, like, that you try to achieve. Like, everybody in my sphere of influence is converted. I get an achievement badge. Like, that's not <laughs> the goal here, okay? That's not the goal. This may mean you just need to reread the passages about who Jesus hung out with. He hung out with tax collectors, prostitutes, Samaritans, like people that didn't know him, didn't care for him, but still what God was doing through him transformed and changed their lives. If you don't currently know anyone that's in that category of not yet knowing Jesus, start saying Hello at places. Start engaging in relationship. Maybe join a club group or something where you know that like there's going to be people that aren't Christians hanging out. Like put yourself out there. See what might happen. Like join a theater group. Join some like, there's a lot of stuff around here. There's a lot of stuff around here. We're not living in my hometown, okay? There's opportunities. But God calls us to intentionally engage with people that don't yet know him. And that can look different depending on where you're at. But even just, like, think about, God, would you help me reach one person each year? Would you help me with that? Would you show me a way that I can intentionally try to engage in a relationship with someone that doesn't yet know you? And then I know plenty of people that it's the exact opposite. And worship team, you guys can come back up. It's the exact opposite. They're like, my entire sphere of influence, like, none of them know Jesus. In fact, at best right? They'll tolerate me talking about it, but they want nothing to do with it. This was like my situation like about 10 years ago, maybe 12 years ago now. Time flies once you have kids. Some number of years ago, that's where I was when I first started following Jesus. It's like 85% of the people I knew didn't even want to hear anything about my Lord and Savior. They didn't want to hear anything about Jesus. And when this is, our, this is our situation, it can feel overwhelming. You're like, okay, so I'm supposed to reach my sphere of influence and help them know who Jesus is. Well, A, that's a lot of people. <laughs> um, B, I value some of those relationships, and I don't know if they'll talk to me anymore if I, if I try to do that, because that's what the enemy tries to convince us of, right? Just keep your mouth shut so you can maintain these relationships. And it can be overwhelming. But we need to just be obedient in one step at a time in that. And we need to be okay with acknowledging the fact that God's in control, he knows our needs, and he desires to provide for them. That doesn't mean he gives us every single thing we want every minute of every day because he's our parent and he helps us learn and he helps guide us to growing our character and integrity, not becoming spoiled little brats. And so he helps us with what we need to accomplish his plans and purposes. But what can be really easy to do when we feel like, oh, I just don't know anyone that's a Christian. I don't even know where to start. Nobody wants to hear anything about this is it can almost be like, I don't know if any of you in here hunt. I used to hunt and I know I got to be careful where I say that in Eugene, but I used to hunt for like animals. And um, some of the things that you would do as you prepared for that is like, you'd go to these aisles and these big stores with stuffed animals everywhere, not like teddy bears, like real animals. And you'd get clothing that made you look like you didn't exist when you were out in nature. And you'd get things that smelled like weird things so that like you couldn't be smelled when you were out in nature. And the whole goal is that you would blend in, not be detected 
so that you could just kind of do your thing without people, or without animals, sorry, people, not people, without animals knowing that you were around, right? Like, you camouflage yourself, you cover up your scent, you just make sure that you are, like, quiet when you're walking and that your clothes don't make noise so that you can just get in there, do your thing, and leave. And when my sphere of influence was pretty much all, like, non-Christians, and I felt like nobody cared anything about this truth and hope that I had discovered, and I wanted to share that with him, every time I engaged with him, I felt like I had to put on my camouflage, put on the scent cover, and just, like, tiptoe in there to make sure I didn't ruffle any feathers, make anybody mad, have someone want to hit me, and then leave and go back and just kind of, like, leave no trace kind of thing, right? Like, you can feel like that. Like, okay, how do I get in? and get out and still have somebody that likes me. And it can feel like that when that is your situation. But if we will just commit to being present and being honest with those people, just being present and being honest, instead of trying to put on our spiritual camouflage so we don't get detected or stick out too bad, and we just ask questions, and we care about them, and occasionally say, hey, I used to really struggle with that. Can I, can I share with you what helped me? No, whatever to you. I don't want to hear it. Okay, great. Just know that if you ever do want to talk through this, I'm there for you. And there's probably a lot of those conversations leading up to the, yeah, tell me. No, I don't want anything to do with that. Great. I love you. When you're ready, just let me know. Just let me know. And we be secure enough in our Savior that we're not looking for each relational interaction to validate our worth. Because we know who Jesus is. We know that we are his. And somebody, we're not responsible for their response, right? Somebody turning you down or saying, no, I don't want anything to do with that, doesn't ruin your day. It just means maybe tomorrow, maybe next time. God still loves them, and he still has a heart for every person in my sphere of influence. And when we can deal with it that way, instead of running and hiding, God can and will use you to do amazing things in people's lives. It's my heart, and I believe the heart of God, that as a community, we will not try to find one of these camps to associate ourselves with, trying to find an excuse like, Everyone I know is a Christian. I don't know anyone that would be open to hearing about Jesus. Or I'm so busy in what I'm doing right now, I don't have time for that. Don't believe God's heart is associating yourselves with one of those camps, but rather finding how you can just take one small step to have his heart for his people come out of you. To see his kids the way he sees them. To care more about the fact that this person is headed towards eternal separation with their creator, then your comfort in people-pleasing in any given moment. Because God might just be using you to help change that person's destiny, legacy, family, forever. Not like forever until like they die, like forever, ever. Like eternity, what a privilege that God would allow us to partner with someone in that way. But when we're too preoccupied with our reputation and how we please people, to prioritize their eternity over that, like, that's just not a great place for the church to reside. That's not how we're called to operate. And I believe God wants to breathe fresh vision and life into that way in which this church operates that we would recognize what's on the other side, what the other path leads to, 
and that we would meet somebody there and point them to Jesus so that their lives, their families, and their forever is changed. Amen? And when we commit to doing that, God will be glorified. He will be honored. And we get to partake in what he said, Abraham, your children will be a blessing. You will be blessed so you can be a blessing. Blessing will just flow through us. I'm not talking about just resources and money. I'm talking about relationship. I'm talking about impacting people's lives. You guys, this is an amazing opportunity. And the devil wants to lead you to an excuse. And the Lord wants to lead you to a relationship. So God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your heart for every person. And that who are we to consider anyone unworthy that you have called worthy? So would you stir in our hearts in this way? Would you even just flow through our conversations in our life groups this week? And God, would you be the hero of the story of each person in our sphere of influence? In Jesus' name, amen.